Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everybody. This is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. Hello everybody, welcome to another edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast, episode number 106 of the podcast, and it made me think, you see players get to 100 and they often give their wickets away. We're not going to do that on the Cricket Badger Podcast, we're going to get better, we're going to get bigger, we're going to get stronger. In doing so, this week we have George DeBell, ESPN Crick Info, Cricket Correspondent, read by, I'm sure most of you, with his uh, forthright opinions very good articles on cricket and i've been trying to get george on the podcast for some time and he finally relented and he told me before we had the chat for the podcast that he felt slightly obliged to to come on the podcast because he was the cricket badger cricket journalist of the year for 2018 we'll be having those awards again very very soon for 2019 so if you're listening virat cole you were the player of the year for 2018 so if it follows that if you get an award, you have to come on the podcast. Then, Vera, you're welcome to come on at any stage. But George came on this week, and we talk all things cricket. Regular listeners of the podcast, followers of the at cricket underscore badger Twitter feed, will know that I have quite forthright opinions on the 100 and the state of English cricket and where it's going to. And so much so that one evening when I got a little bit aggrieved and was reading all of the Twitter feeds and people saying that they were against the 100 for various reasons, I set up at oppose the 100 on Twitter. Well over 3,000 followers of that now, only a few weeks later. And after the DCMS hearing the other day, it'd be no surprise to you that the 100 comes up quite regularly in uh, the chat with George this week. He has uh, very similar views to mine, I think. I'm sure if you uh, are interested in cricket, if you love cricket like myself and George, you'll find the chat that I had with him interesting. But a huge amount of respect for George as a writer. He has a very good knack of getting across his thoughts, opinions, the facts of the matter in a very engaging way on Crick Info. So more than happy to have him as the first 
Best Cricket Journalist of the Year for Cricket Badger. Whether he retains that or not will depend on various other things. I think his coverage this year has been very good, but there's also some very fine cricket writers out there that will be competing for that award this year. But I sat down had a chat with George about all things cricket, all things England, all things are happening in the game. And as you'd expect, some very forthright views from George on cricket in this country. It's that Badger style. With great pleasure this week, I introduce not only a very fine cricket journalist, but somebody I would class as a friend when, I, when I've met him and uh, seen him around on the circuit, but also a the Cricket Badger 2018 Cricket Journalist of the Year. George DeBell, how are you? I'm really well, thank you. How about you? I'm good, thanks. Good to have you on the Cricket Badger podcast. I, let's start off. I mean, we're going to have a general kind of cricket chat. I think this week um, you've got your fingers in, in many pies and cover all, all different types of cricket. But to start off with a very simple question, George. Is there too much cricket played at the moment? Can we get the best out of people? Can we lure in this new audience that everybody keeps talking about when cricket is played pretty much every day of the week, year in, year out, all across the country? How can we expect people with a floating, passing interest in cricket to get to grips with it and understand what's going on? Uh, it's a difficult question. I mean, I, I, I think a lot of people would answer yes, there's too much. I'm not positive, I agree. I think there's probably too much international cricket, but maybe we have to change our mentality in that there's too much cricket for individual players if they're going to try and play all of it. And that mustn't happen. So I'm delighted that England rested players on this New Zealand tour. Um, equally, the same with coaches, there's just too much. Um, I, I really like cricket and I really like watching cricket and I quite like the fact that you can pretty much turn on your TV if you can afford it and watch cricket almost every day of the week, almost all year. Uh, and that's only a bit of an exaggeration, isn't it? That there's basically cricket somewhere in the world all the time. And if you have enough subscriptions, you can probably watch it. Uh, I quite like that. Uh, I note the model in American sport where baseball players play a lot, for example, but they have relief players so the individual's workloads should be uh, mitigated somewhat so I, I, the, the thing is that if we have breaks if we give players breaks they'll probably fill them by going and playing in the t20 league anyway that's what experience would show is there too much cricket well probably to be honest or is it just a muddle in terms of the schedule well yes it definitely is so, I, I mean, I like there being quite a lot of cricket, but we have to be sensible about rest and rotation of players. Uh, we as supporters have to understand that that's important. The coaches have to be stronger and take longer-term views and managers. Uh, and we need to have a more coherent fixture list. But everybody knows that. They just disagree how to get there. I covered Yorkshire Home and Away, as you know, for a couple of seasons. And there was one trip that I did, which I refer back to quite a lot, that went from Leeds to Liverpool, and um, to Egbert, as it was, actually, that, that season that Lancashire won the title. Played four days there, day off, went down to Worcestershire to play a one-day game at Worcester. Day off, but then the next day was in Taunton, four days at Taunton. And then the day off as we went across to Brighton to play Sussex. So I was on the road for 17 days. We drove back from Sussex on the day off in between that and the T20 starting. Picture has got a little bit more sensible, I think, domestically. But I was absolutely whacked at the end of that, that trip because, as you know, I mean, as a journalist, you get there and before the game, you're there after the game. But the players are exactly the same. And you can't expect players to give their 100% with day in, day out on the domestic scene, at least. Well, no, you, you probably can't. 
you probably can't, but it is the best job they'll ever have. Uh, <laughs> I suspect you loved those 17 days. Uh, yes. I suspect you might think it's the best job you've ever had. My, mine is the best job I've ever had. I mean, it is hard and it isn't ideal, but I'll say again, they'll never get a better job uh, and they have to be rested and used a bit more carefully by their coaches. But, you know, if they want the wages, if they want the big broadcast deals, this is the price of it. So what you're sort of suggesting, and, and you're right, is that the business model is just about broken. Uh, and that's probably so. Uh, we, we cannot continue to grow because the only way we're doing it is by squeezing in ever more cricket. I'll give you a, an example as well. Do you remember that day that Peter Moores found out he was sacked? England had just got to Ireland to play an ODI. I think it rained. Now, if the test in Barbados had gone to its natural conclusion, it didn't, it ended early, I think that the ODI started the next day, or was it 48 hours later? So basically you're asking England players and coaches to finish a tour in the Caribbean, fly overnight, get to London, take a flight to Ireland and play. Well, you know, it's clearly ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. It's just about immoral. But I say again, if you put a gap in the schedule, experience will show the players will fill it by taking jobs in other leagues. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's a particularly easily salvageable situation. Uh, and while it's not ideal, I say again, I quite like watching cricket a lot. So it, it, I, you, know, you can't just say play less because you're saying, well, um, let's change the business model. Let's have less money for the counties. Let's have less money for the players. And, and who's going to accept any of those things? So it is quite difficult. Uh, but we are getting to the stage where it doesn't seem sustainable. I agree. I've seen the, the draft fixtures for the next year. And they mm. play until the final day of September on the English domestic mm. scene. The county championship, four, four championship games in September, right the way through until the end of September. As a, as a, as a, a cricket lover, as somebody that likes all formats, um, but always thinks the championship is the biggest test of a domestic player, as test cricket is for an international player, <laughs> we are shifting county championship cricket to the bookends of the season, aren't we? And, Obviously, yeah. there is that phrase I'm going to use in a minute, the 100, which is going to make that, as, making that even harder to shoehorn everything in. It is, of course it is. Uh, all I would say is, though, that I, I'm not uh, convinced that the 100 is as much the problem with what you've just spoken about as a window. Now, I, I'm equally anti a window for T20 cricket uh, in that as soon as you have a window, you're prioritising one, uh, one format and you are compromising the others. And that's what we did with T20 even before the 100. Uh, and, and the reason we, we did that is because the players argued, and coaches, that quality would increase if we played in windows, if they played in windows. And that makes sense. You have to listen to that. It's a valid point. And we've done it, and we've won the World Cup. So you've got to respect that. At the same time, I, I, I think it's a mistake. I think they should play... T20s on Friday nights. I think they should go back to playing 50 overs in the old Sunday league. Personally, and it's not popular with everyone, I would play the championship Monday to Thursday. I know that that's not particularly popular, but all I would say is that you do have some bank holiday Mondays in there, and you do have some summer holiday games in there. And although that looks like pretty constant cricket, well, it is, uh, I think that you could um, rest and rotate accordingly. Uh, and that way, I think you give yourself the best chance to develop teams in all conditions 
uh, across formats all year. Um, I don't mind them playing till the end of September, uh, and I don't mind them starting the season quite early, but the, the issue is they're not playing enough in the middle, or they're not playing yeah. enough red ball cricket. And whatever they say, that is because they have prioritised the short ball, the white ball formats, and particularly uh, the 100. And the championship is compromised, and because of that, we are risking our test team. And, and, and the, the foolishness of that is that actually, for all people say, oh, tastes are changing, test cricket is still actually uh, a, a huge part, uh, an absolutely massive part of the broadcast deals. Now, it, it might not be... Um, so they're receiving less money from broadcast deals in India, which is obviously a huge factor for test cricket. But that's not the case for home test cricket. It just isn't. And I feel we're abandoning it. Uh, you know, the ECB are abandoning the format. Probably too strong a word, to be fair. But they are making contingency plans which are unnecessary. Uh, and actually, the format in this country is still tremendously entertaining and still very valuable financially. So um, I would like them to protect it a little bit more fiercely, with a little bit more pride, uh, because I still think we've got something pretty good there. Chris Silverwood said that you know, that's what he's going to do, and obviously he needs the support of the ECB to do that. I mean, I, I was very critical this summer of Jason Roy being selected as the opener for the England Test team, because A, he'd never batted for more than two and a half, three hours or something in a first-class game, but that's it, right. as a... Yeah, the, the white ball specialist doesn't necessarily translate to five-day cricket. And I think we saw that with Jason Roy, and we've seen that with other players. Uh, who, but who thought it was going to work other than Ed Miss? Uh, I, I mean, a few people did. It, uh, but it was a ludicrous selection that was bound to fail. And, and I'm not being wise after the event. Uh, and actually, I think I would say the same to, uh, a fair po- up to a point with Ollie Pope. Asking him to bat at four was unfair on him, just as asking Jason Roy to bat one or two was unfair on him. If either of them were to have a chance, they had to bat at six. And I hope that Ollie Pope comes into the team in New Zealand and bats at six, where he'll get a chance to establish himself in test cricket. Uh, I thought that was a, an extremely naive selection and, uh, you know, very disappointing. Look, I think actually Giles gets the point. I don't know if you've seen, I've, I've done a piece this morning, where he did an interview with a cricketer. And uh, in it, he said uh, he is minded to change uh, the schedule so that the championship is played in the window when the hundreds played instead of 50 over cricket. Now, a lot of people will be very unhappy with that, and I think rightly up to the point, uh, because it will be seen as compromising the integrity of the championship, and it no doubt does. Of course it does. You, you, You take an 80 of the best players out of the competition, and you might be playing those games with half the points. So that would be one of the plans they're discussing anyway. I actually think it's slightly better than what we have now, in that at least spinners would be relevant. At least they'd have a chance to bowl in in high summer. Uh, But I come back again. I'll I'll keep saying it. While you have a window, you have a problem. And I know the players like the window, but actually it is meant to be a spectator sport, and it doesn't really work as a spectator sport, if you've just got this window. And actually, we also had a window for T20 before. I think it was 2012. It rained a lot, and attendances dropped. To be fair, there were fewer fixtures as well, but attendances dropped in about 2012, I think it was. Uh, and, and that's what you, you were at the mercy of poor weather while you have a window as well. So I think they made um, a couple of really big strategic mistakes there. Personally, I could live 
with the format. I mean, I you know, when I first started watching cricket, they bowled eight ball overs in uh, in Australia. We've had four ball overs in Test cricket in the distant past. Well, you know, I could live with the the, the changes, although I think they're unnecessary. Uh, I think that the uh, compromise to the other competitions, uh, what is seen as collateral damage, and uh, playing in the window is a massive error. And I think they'll realise it. I think the hundred probably probably will fail. Is there room for four formats in, a, in an English domestic No, of course season? there isn't. No. no. I'm not sure there's room for three. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. you, know, they're, they're, uh, you know, bear in mind we're saying that there's a window for the 100. There is up to a point. But they're still playing test cricket during it. So we're cannibalising yeah. the audience for test cricket to watch the 100. I mean, how could it make sense that broadcasters are paying for two formats at the same time? Well, you go, going back you, to the you Ashes, can't, you can't tell George. me that that makes sense long term. No, absolutely not. Oh, you, you know this. Everyone who's listening knows this. The 50-over competition becomes what Gordon Hollins called euphemistically a development competition. It becomes a sec- You know, I, I mean, I've read Mike Atherton's obviously brilliant, and he's uh, argued for playing the championship during this uh, hundred window and said that it would be an opportunity for people to go to outgrounds and watch young players. Well, that's the second eleven. That's what yeah. that is. We already have that, thanks. And people could go, and it's marvellous and brilliant. You can see young players. And you get about two dozen people watching. I mean, you might get 100. But you know what I mean. It's, it's just not the same thing. And I think it gives us very, very little chance of competing in the 2023 World Cup because you'll have a generation of players, say Ben Duckett and Joe Clark, you know, the next generation potentially of very good young batsmen, Crawley as well, perhaps, who are in the 100 draft. So, sorry, they were picked in the 100. And they might never play another 50-over game at domestic level. Well, how do we give them a chance to develop as 50-over players if that's the case? It is a ludicrous decision. Discover one of the most beautiful lifestyle resorts in the Caribbean at the Accra Beach Hotel and Spa. Located on the south coast of Barbados, this beachfront property offers 224 rooms, sparkling pools, four restaurants, three bars, an on-site spa, event and conferencing facilities, and a welcoming team providing unparalleled relaxation to make your stay a memorable one. What are you waiting for? Book your reservation at this award-winning hotel today and experience the Caribbean dream. I'm, I'm quite a fan of the window because I think you can concentrate and you can not only concentrate the players' minds, but you can concentrate the supporters' minds. I, I admit, I agree with you, that you're, you're at liberty to the weather, but we always are in England, aren't we? But we, we saw you know, in... Well, you are, the, but you're more so, because I, t- I promise you this, if the, if the first games of the BBC start in the rain, yeah, and you've got whoever they've got presenting it, it's huddling under umbrellas, trying to be cheerful. And the first experience that, that the audiences have is of, you know, ex-cricketers huddling under a cagoules trying to be cheerful about cricket. It will die a death immediately. It, honestly, I think if it rains, those first two games of the BBC... It is sunk. I honestly believe that. I think, I think that's how big a gamble it is. All I would say is if they have great weather and they get the pitches right and it's on free-to-air TV and it's a good game, 
There is no reason at all the 100 or T20 or 50 over or anything, really, would not inspire people to want to play because that's the, that's the optimistic message. We've got a great bloody product. We've got a great game. And actually, getting it on TV again, getting it on the BBC again, is valuable. And, um, you know, that, that is maybe the positive outlook. But it's just such an unnecessary risk. They could have done it with T20. I, I say again, while you've got a window, you're compromising. Because, you, you know, James, if you're saying, well, I don't mind the window, but I don't want the championship played in the margins of the season. Well, I, I'm not sure how you can have it both ways. I did a blueprint um, a few months ago where it was uh, the championship was played between April and, and July, and it was done and dusted in one great big chunk, and and everything was devoted to the to the championship in that time. And then you, all your white ball stuff came after that. You know, June, July onwards was when your white ball competitions kicked in. I don't see why that that couldn't be a workable thing and everybody that loves the championship gets their fix in those months and those that their team's home and away etc and can start to understand the product because at the moment you are playing five or six championship games at the start of the season you're then totally diluting it by playing everything else in between and then you're coming back and reminding people it exists in September and how you can get that narrative and the the swathes of teams being in form and stuff throughout the summer on that basis you, you just can't can you well, it's, you know, it's, it, we, we've made it almost impossible to develop spinners. I mean, there, there have been some talented young spinners. I'll, I'll give you a classic example. Um, Ravi Patel at uh, Middlesex yeah. was a talented left-arm spinner. I mean, I'm sure he still is. He's left the game because he played about three games in four seasons. Didn't have any opportunity. Uh, and, uh, you know, because it's not really necessary. And they end up either playing a team full of seamers or Ollie Rayner, because he's a good all-round cricketer, of course, good hands in a slip, can bat, uh, keep it end tight with the spin. No disrespect to it, but he doesn't have the sort of wicket-taking potential. Although I think I saw him take 16 in a match once. But you know what I mean of uh, a bowler like uh, Ravi Patel. So uh, we've made it very, very difficult. Um, the other thing is that um, David Morgan produced a report a few years ago, you may remember. And he did, to be fair to him, speak to a lot of people. And um, what he decided was, the feedback he got was, Spectators didn't want a schedule where they were where too much was asked of them in too short a period of time. So they didn't want to be, as Surrey memorably had a little while ago, three games in four nights, was it? Three 20-20 games yeah. in four nights, something like that, uh, which asks a great deal of spectators' time, uh, uh, money, if they're going to pay for tickets. And just it, It's too long a commitment, too big a commitment in the short space of time. So he, he called his conclusions... Uh, an appointment-to-view principle where people needed to know when games were and stuff. And I'll say again, that all, all the evidence suggests that with some local variation, those Friday night games really work. So Nottingham, it might be that they prefer them on Saturday or Sunday. Uh, at Lords, they might prefer them on Thursday night. You know, different clubs have different needs and have worked out what works for them. But that really, really works. Uh, and we've seen, you know, the... Um, the numbers grow. <laughs> you may have seen the piece I did a couple of weeks ago that, that the ECV has effectively downplayed their own sales figures for T20 because they would have gone over a million. Now, they say, brilliantly, that, oh, well, they, they subtracted all the sales from game where it rained. Well, they didn't do that for the test sales. They didn't do that for the World Cup sales. So why is it that they're trying to do it for the, for the T20? And I'll tell you why, because I don't think they want it to be that popular they don't want it to be that successful because they need 
the hundred to work at this stage to save their careers. Just before the T20 kicked in this, this last season, I looked on the ECB website and usually there's loads of stuff about T20. There's interviews with players, there's all the excitement, oh, the T20 is just around the corner. There was hardly a whisper on the ECB's own site. You had to really trawl down to, to find stuff about the T20. Well, you, well hey, you should have seen the, the Royal London. I mean, I, I can't remember how many tweets there were. I did a piece about it for the cricketer a few months ago. One or two tweets from the ECB's website saying, oh, there's a Royal London tournament on, by the way. They, they downplayed it on purpose because it, I think it helps them to have this sort of barren ground. And then, I mean, they, they, they've got a really difficult message at the moment because they're basically saying, we've had a fantastic year, more people than ever. Isn't it brilliant? We need to change. And it doesn't really make a lot of sense, their message, because one of the things that cricket showed this year, whether it was test cricket or 50-over cricket or T20, it's a great game. There's nothing wrong with the game. And actually, it, it, it wouldn't have mattered which format was on TV. You know, if people have been watching the last um, uh, uh, day of uh, Leeds, I think people would love that. If people yeah. have been watching loads of the T20, they'd love that. And as it was, the World Cup final had this thrilling finish. So uh, in some ways, I'm really optimistic for the game's future. But yeah, I, I was sat in an office during the World Cup and everybody knows that I'm a cricket nutcase and, and they always take the mickey, oh, cricket's boring and there's a lot of very very football-orientated people in that office that I work in in Leeds and during the World Cup, people were saying to me, it's all right, this cricket, isn't it? I'm getting, you know, I understand this. They were starting to ask me questions about it and talking about the players and that was because they were being exposed to it and they were starting to get excited by it and then all of a sudden, though, you're onto something completely different and cricket's disappeared. And you, it needs to be a concerted effort to get cricket under the noses of, of those kind of people right. rather than just so three or four little, weeks at a time. There's very little wrong with the game. There's a bit wrong with it. I, I definitely think there's room for improvement and change. There's very little wrong with the game that wouldn't be resolved with more free-to-air broadcasting. The problem is that people are not seeing the game, so it's become irrelevant to huge portions of the country. Completely irrelevant, because they're not playing it at school, they're not seeing it on TV, unless they have a parent or a friend who, who is very into it, or unless they're in public school. How are they ever going to be exposed to the game? I actually think everybody knows this. There was an interesting moment in the, uh, the DCMS inquiry recently where Tom Harrison was asked about this, because it was very clear the MPs were pushing for more free-to-air broadcasting. I mean, they, they said it very openly. And he said, well, the last time we had uh, any research uh, looked into this, I can't remember what the cost was. It was going to cost the game something like, and, and, and I want to say it's almost 40 or 50% of the income, something like that. And that's off the top of my head, but of a por- as a portion of you know, what you would lose from the main broadcast deal, it, it was a catastrophic figure. But that report was conducted in 2008, well, in 2008, we, 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 you know, it's the first year of the IPL. So that, that report probably happened before the IPL was a thing. Before T20 had grown into the beast it has, it's before the England team was uh, what it is now. It, 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 basically, it's just a different world, isn't it? It's a different yeah. world. And so what it said to me is that report is a bit irrelevant at this stage. We need to have a new one. We need to have an independent report into what it actually would cost financially, but not just in terms of the next broadcast deal, what it may have cost over 20 years in terms of lost revenues from the audiences that we have sacrificed. So, look, I think most people would agree, including the ECB, that there's a balance to be found and that we have gone too far one way. So to some extent, I applaud them for having a look at it and changing things. And I think it's great that the BBC are involved again. It's going to be very interesting to see how the BBC um, 
report the 100, isn't it? Because judging by the way they did um, the draft, it isn't going to be terribly objective, but we'll see. Give them some credit where it's due, you know, we'll see. It's not happened yet. But uh, so the ECB looked at that and they've got someone free to air, and that's great. But, you know, T20 originally was meant to be 75 minutes in innings, yeah? So those two and a half hour games. So I understand that they might have felt the need to shorten it. I really do. I get that. But if that was really so important, why have they introduced a strategic timeout in the middle of the 100? Everything you look at, you just think, well, there's hypocrisy there and there's a mistake there. I don't know. I think it's probably largely become about ego at this stage and they can't back down. But I still yeah. think they should. I still think the 100 is a massive, unnecessary risk. Well, they're gambling cricket, aren't they? They're basically taking cricket's reserves and sticking it on red, watching the roulette table coming round and hoping it doesn't land on black. Uh, yeah, I, I actually can't really disagree because they spent vast sums. The reserves were 78 million and now they're nothing. And, um, you know, they have got a very good broadcast deal. But as I understand it, there's, there's you know, they're, they're, look, the reason that central contract start dates were delayed is because they've run out of cash. They can say what they like. I know that for a fact. The, the central contracts were announced as ever at the end of September, October, whatever it is, and they don't start until February because they don't can't kick in until they get the new revenues from the broadcast deal. So what has happened is the counties are paying the England players, or the England one-day players anyway, and they'll be reimbursed when the ECB are paid. That's how bad the cash flow situation is. So there isn't going to be any new money for um, grassroots. There isn't. It's just not true. I, I don't really understand what, where the money's going and stuff, but this huge TV deal increasingly looks like fool's gold to me because if you're paying huge sums to try and make cricket relevant to people who aren't seeing it, well, wouldn't it be better just to sacrifice some of the revenue and get more cricket on free to air? Absolutely. And I, and I fear, you know, that the 100 is tainted before it starts. I'll say again, I don't have a massive issue with the 100. I'm sure that, you know, with lots of good players involved, it will produce some uh, good cricket. You know, it's still bat me ball and I really love that game so that's that's good but it's so tainted in terms of its PR I, I keep comparing it to El Dorado you know that BBC show that was absolutely screwed before it started because the tabloids had it in for it and I just wonder if we're in the same territory yeah Oh, yeah, I remember that. That was the, the Spanish enclave, wasn't it, of English people living abroad. I, That's right. It, I, it, made, me, it made me laugh at the, at the select committee hearing, George, when um, Tom, Tom Harrison was asked about the 100 format, and he said, well, it's already successful. I'm thinking, well, there's, there's not been a game played of this yet, and he's actually saying that it's successful. But he, was, he basically said, well, there's four, I think it was him or Colin Grove said, there's four countries showing a, a big interest and, and watching with interest from, from a distance. And I think, well, everybody's watching with interest to see what happens. It doesn't mean that they're, they're buying into it. They're watching in the same way that people watch uh, plane crashes on YouTube. <laughs> I mean, they, they are watching with interest. That is absolutely right. And yeah, if, it, if it's popular, I'm sure they'll join in. But why would they? I mean, why would they risk their own T20 tournaments, yeah, to encourage... Uh, the ECB's 100 tournament. Why would they do that? They would be mental, and they're not. And actually, for all the, you know, great players supposedly in it, were there any players, were there any players in that draft who we don't see in the blast? No. There actually aren't any India players. There aren't any, well, there are very few India players, very few Sri Lanka players, very few Bangladesh players. There aren't that many Pakistan players, are there? So were there any Pakistan players who are, Mohammed Amir, Mohammed Amir, wasn't it? Yeah, right. So the Blast had uh, Babrazam, for example. The Blast had A.B. de Villiers. 
the blast has had all the great. I mean, you know, Sam Curran, bless him, nothing wrong with Sam Curran, but he said, you don't, as soon as uh, the auction was going, he said, well, you don't see players like Andre Russell and who else was he talking? Arsenal Khan uh, in, in the blast. Said, well, yes, you do. <laughs> you do. I mean, Andre Russell's done two seasons, hasn't he? He's done Nottinghamshire and Worcestershire. She comes obviously being at uh, Sussex. It's hype and Emperor's new clothes stuff going on. And the players, you can't expect them really to tell the truth. They're being paid, they're contracted. And to be fair, from their perspective, they're getting a bit more money and it probably will be fun and half-decent quality cricket. That's absolutely fine. But, you know, at what cost? But hey, I'm preaching to the converted here, aren't I? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I mean, my, my view of it, I'm exactly the same as you. It's probably going to be quite entertaining. I'll probably switch on and watch some of it. It's, it's probably going to be half-decent cricket, bite-sized cricket, and it's going to be quite good fun. It's just the repercussions it has for the rest of cricket that, uh, that really concern me. And I think it's all about the cash and, it's, and it is a massive gamble and it's a gamble with our game it's our game it's, it's the country's game it's the world's game it's not the ECB's game and they have a responsibility to, to look after it a bit better than they are doing yes I completely agree so I would direct people to the Cricket Supporters Association and urge them to join and suggest because the Cricket Supporters Association were at the DCMS hearing they were asked to give evidence and I know that they've met some of the MPs on that committee since. So it's an ongoing relationship. I think they have their ear. I think there's some decent relationship there with the ECB as well. I think long-term, that is a way to get the voice of the spectator heard much more. Yeah, I think, I think it's very important. I think there's a, there's a lot of cricket fans out there that think that this has just been railroaded through. It's been introduced, as you said, it, the, the PR around it has been really poor. I mean, I think you know, a kid could have done a better job in terms of actually telling people about this competition because it's been kind of PR gap after PR gap, which hasn't helped at all. But I think people feel a little bit distanced from the decision-making from the game that they love and people genuinely love cricket you know it's not just a when, when people say they love the sport you've said it I've said it but people love cricket it's something that's just ingrained in you if you if you get into cricket as a kid it stays with you George isn't it it's yeah. something that you but you feel passionate well, you're about. right you're, you're right but they, I mean they are trying to be fair to reach audiences which we're not at the moment and that's uh, an admirable aim uh, and now so I mean to be fair to them well I'll tell you what happened actually um I had a big argument with Tom Harrison ages ago, uh, like when all this started. We, we were in Cape Town, I reckon. We, we had dinner, and we had a proper scrap over dinner, yeah? I mean, really, really finger-wagging stuff. And he was good. I mean, he gave as good as he got, and I thought it was a, a, a good, healthy conversation. I thought he did too. And I think I either said to him or texted him afterwards and said, you know we're on the same side. We actually want the same outcome. We just disagree on the, yeah. the route to get there. And actually, after the um, DCMS the other day, he was, a, you know, a bit, well, he was all hot and sweaty. You know, he'd been given a pretty tough time by them. But he said a couple of things which haven't been reported. And one of them was, there was, a, there was an MP there, the MP for Frinton, I can't remember his name, who used to be the, the reverend in bread. It was a little bit of uh, uh, bizarre uh, trivia. Anyway, he, he was saying there were just too many counties out there. And Tom Harrison had an open goal, if he actually thinks this, said, well, no, I don't think there are. The two World Cups that we have on either side of us right now, they are a product of the county game. Uh, it's a great privilege to serve the 18 counties, and um, it's important to keep them going because they, they represent everything that's good about cricket. And I thought that was really good. So I said to him afterwards, that was music for my ears. Well done. And he said, we're on the same side. We just disagree on the route to get there. 
which I thought was really interesting in, in quite a lot of ways. And I actually do think is true. I do think we all want the same thing. You know, we've got to bear that in mind that they started with good intentions and that we have to be, those of us who are already committed to the sport, we already love it, we have to accept that audiences aren't everything they could be, that it is a bit of a niche sport, and we have to be more inclusive. So I was very interested in Tasneem Sabakhan's article, which I think was on the Cricketer website, wasn't it? Can I come on to that in a second, George? I'll just come back to you on what you just okay. said, though. The, in terms of the appealing to a new audience, I've got no issue with that at all. I think whoever sat down in the ECB offices and said, right, we need to grow the game, should be applauded. The, the initial thoughts behind the 100 are, are fine. Yeah, growing the game and, and making sure it's vibrant and, and can go long term is, is an admirable yeah. thing to strive for. But I think the you, you mentioned it there. Going for that new audience is fine as well. I think everybody in cricket would appreciate that. Going for a new audience that's going to keep the longevity of the game solid is fine. I think the mistake they made is to ignore the existing audience in any communications they had. If they'd said this is a game for everybody, it might have been a different route down this. I think people, less people would have felt disenfranchised by it. Yeah, you're right. You are right. Uh, yes, they've handled it really poorly. Uh, there, there were comments like, well, it's not for you. It's for this new audience. And I think they've realized the folly of that. So I think there was some heavy-handed marketing, uh, and they're now realising that, God almighty, they could do with anyone they could get in those grounds next year. I mean, as I say, again, I did a piece a little while ago, that the grounds, they're projecting 60% capacity, the ECB figures. Uh, I mean, they're hoping for 80, but they're projecting 60, which probably means they're looking for 60% sales and 20% giveaways. But the grounds themselves, I mean, they're they're struggling. I mean, they're saying 50 to 60% would be decent. Now, is that good enough? I mean, if you looked at, I'm not saying that that's what the Oval said, but the, the Oval, you would hope, would do a bit better than that. But the Oval, I sold out every T20 game this year, didn't it? In yeah. fact, I think every game that Surrey played in was a sellout T20 game, apart from the one at, you've guessed it, Cardiff. I mean, good luck to them selling those games. I mean, it just yeah. seems impossible. I, I think they've got quite a lot wrong, and they were quite heavy-handed in the early days. And actually, they rode back on that, and they're trying to be a lot more inclusive now. It, it's a worry that the divides have become so big. This is why it becomes like Brexit. Uh, the, the, the debate is like Brexit. And uh, I might give away my own views here in that I see in both areas these terribly important unions that have been so hard fought, that have been earned through decades or centuries of hard work. And I mean the counties as much as I mean anything else. We're jeopardizing them. For what? For what? Just for, yeah. for, for, for these new uh, rootless entities. And, and I just think it's such a risk that we're not valuing these incredible institutions who have done such good work despite being so unloved. Uh, and so, so that, that's, that's what I can bear to my fundamental point that we're risking an awful lot. Uh, you know, I keep comparing it to um, somebody who has a, a bit of a fling after a few years of marriage and... Uh, uh, risks their family life for, I don't know, for what? So I, I think the ECB are making a huge mistake. I actually think quite a lot of them know it. And I think you'll see more people leave the organisation and try and get different jobs because uh, it's sinking ship in my view. 
The Cricket Budget Podcast Association with Cricket365 comes to an end at the end of October. So we're seeking a new headline sponsor. Thank you very much indeed to Cricket365 for their support of the podcast over the last year. This is a great opportunity for you to get your business in front of the cricket world. Be the headline sponsor on the Cricket Badger podcast. We'll promote you on here. We'll promote you on social media. And we're also planning to incorporate new videos onto the cricketbadgerpod.com website as well and you'll be emblazoned all over those twos. Fantastic opportunity to get your business in front of thousands of cricket fans. So let's get together, form a great relationship going ahead. We'll plug you and make sure the world knows about you. Please check out cricketbadgerpod.com for further details. You mentioned Tasneem Samarkhan's piece in The Cricketer. It was entitled, if you've not read it, listeners, Engaging Minority Groups Becoming a Major Issue English Cricket Can No Longer Ignore. My Oppose the 100 group is mentioned in this, and so I, I do have a vested interest in, in this. I, I, I found it a little bit unfair that we were signalled out as being the, the stick in the muds, which I don't think we are, actually. I think uh, we, we're actually quite forward-thinking. We want change, but we just want the right change. I know you've got opinions on that piece, George. Yeah, I do. I mean, um, I, I, well, I share some of your misgivings, certainly, um, in that, I mean, it suggested that the Supporters Association didn't represent then people, anyone. It represents anyone who joins it, eh? It, represent, it, it will be what supporters want it to be. So if a supporter doesn't think it represents them, get involved. Please get involved. I don't run it. it was, I, I mean, it wasn't my idea, but it would be completely inappropriate for somebody who's paid to watch cricket to run it. It has to be run by people who pay to watch cricket. And I say again, if you want to change cricket, get involved in that organisation. Hand on heart, I think it can do that. Oh, I think it's the best ploy we've got anyway. Look, I thought there were quite a few things in there that were, uh, were challenging and uh, and I look around the press box and I see a lot of white, middle-aged, middle-class guys. And I think that's no harm to challenge us a bit. I think that in the same way that Johnny Lou does this sometimes, he prods uh, a group of people who maybe could get just a little bit complacent and a little bit blind, some of the needs elsewhere. And he reminds us that there are different uh, beliefs and thoughts, views, and that some people don't feel that it's a particularly inclusive game. So while I disagreed with quite a lot of the specifics, you know, I, I, I think most T20 grounds, no, most uh, grounds now rather have family stands where there's no alcohol. Most uh, grounds would be horrified to think that people of any particular faith felt uncomfortable and would act to do something about it. The beer snake is very quickly becoming a thing of the past and already is quite a lot of places because of the new design glasses so there were, there were quite a lot of individual things which like you i took issue with but but i think there was probably a general truth despite all the the little uh minor uh, uh qualms i might have about it there might have been a a general truth that we probably could all do with reflecting on and that is that some people do not think our game is inclusive enough well we've got to listen I think on that point, George, I think she's dead right. And I, I, I mean, as you know, I work for Yorkshire and I, I, I've been involved in county cricket for some time and been involved in sort of discussions behind the scenes at counties and worked as a journalist and worked inside the clubs. But th- there is a tendency in cricket, I think, in certain areas of the country to be one minute when tickets need to be sold, be very, very thoughtful of various minority communities. And the next minute when tickets don't necessarily need to be sold, you forget all about them. And I think that is a part oh, of, of course. Uh, Yeah. 
Absolutely right. Uh, that, that is probably the nature of big business. I mean, that's one of the things I actually quite like about big business. In the, in the end, they couldn't give a damn about people's religion, sexuality, gender. They just want money. W- one thing uh, won't be popular, but if you were... So, so the, 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 the Leeds team is trying to appeal to the Asian demographic in, in the region. Yeah? And, and good for them. So they should. So should Yorkshire. How would you feel if you were part of that demographic? And maybe, maybe you know, people should let us know what they think. And Leeds appoint a coach who has been suspended for hurling racist abuse in the past. How, how would you feel about that? Because I find that yeah, appointment that, deeply puzzling. It, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit, does it? I mean, Darren Lehman is a is well, a mate, look, look, We can all we can all grow and change, and we all make yeah. mistakes. And um, you know, I, in my few dealings with him, he seemed an avuncular, decent enough fella. But there is baggage there, yeah. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Bearing in mind what they're trying to do and the audience they're trying to engage, I don't know. I, I find that troubling I, I get, again if i'm honest i just find what they're doing bullshit all the time they will find a clever answer to anything any of these issues oh well you know uh, he's a great coach with a great reputation and stuff maybe i mean no doubt he's had great success in the game and he was a fantastic batsman god he was good underrated fantastic cricketer but i i, I would have i mean that suggests to me that nothing changed and no one's listening that suggests to me that there are still the same people making the same decisions and turning a blind eye when some of these things are uncomfortable. But, um, yeah, anyway, that's a bit of an aside. Um, but I, uh, one of the, uh, the, um, the issues from that piece was that it suggested that, you know, the 100 could be new and fresh and dynamic. And wasn't it exciting to have this draft of, you know, overseas players? Well, I, I, I'm afraid I think that's bullshit. Uh, it, it, they are basically the same players that we see in the blast but fewer because it's uh, happening at the same time that nearly all countries are involved in international cricket actually we're not going to see players from lots of nations and i think the choice of coaches in at least that one regard is well i'll say again troubling and puzzling so um you know money it's money that talks it's always been about money this and it's actually not going to make any money Look, look if, it, if the we're in the same position here. If the hundred appeals to lots of new people and makes the game successful, I guess you and I put our hands up and go, we were wrong, mm. uh, and that is definitely possible. I do think it's a cricket's a good game. I do think having it on free to air gives it a chance. Uh, so that that is possible, and I, and I guess on a level, I'd be really happy if that happened up to a point because I worry about the knock-on effects to other areas of the game. But actually. We now know it's not going to make any money. I don't know if you saw, but I published the profit and loss account that the ECB are working on at the moment. The first year of the... Yeah, okay. So the first year, they are projecting to make a loss of $7.5 million. And actually, they're not projecting to make a profit in any of the first five years of the tournament. So it's not making money. <laughs> so, you know, it is not going to bring lots of money flooding into the game. You know, we just people have to understand that that is not true. And so it's all about attracting a new audience. That's what it's all about. So it's all about these eight, nine, ten games on the BBC. I think, by the way, the last I heard, it was Sanjay Patel who told me that the BBC are only currently planning to put one women's hundred game on their main channels. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, but, but, but it's not just about that. Look, there's there's, there's a, a, an England Australia men's T Twenty international. I mean, that that is about as big a fixture as English cricket has to sell right now, isn't it? Uh, on BBC next summer. Well, that's great. 
But, I mean, that's brilliant. That is a real opportunity. This is an incredibly uh, fun to watch inside. They really are. I mean, they're fun to watch even when those days when they're rubbish. So uh, that, that's an opportunity. That's progress. You know, credit where it's due there. But I don't know. I just think there were different ways to do this. And there was just no need to bring in this other format. We could have had, I'm sure we could have found ways to get the games uh, finished in the broadcast window available, which is basically under, it has to be under three hours. It probably is two hours and 45 minutes that we had available. And I think we probably could have done it. Absolutely. Totally agree. Let's, let's stop whinging about the hundred and, and look ahead to the winter. You're going to be jetting around the world. I know you're going to New Zealand, South Africa, um, some exciting series ahead, George. And the England team looking good. Obviously, it's been a fantastic summer. Are you confident that they're going to do well over the winter as well and things are shaping up nicely in the Crystal Wood? Um, well, I think they're quite challenging series. I mean, I'll just start with New Zealand. I think that's quite challenging, actually. Um, I, I, no, I don't think... Um, I don't know that they're particularly favourites there. I mean, they're not great with a cook of a ball. They're obviously trying to still find a batting order. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, I, I, I hope that what they do is they put I hope a batting order, a coherent batting order develops. So if they open with Sibley and Burns, great. If they put Denley three, okay, we could probably live with that. Uh, I mean, I'm not convinced by Joe Denley, but, you know, good luck to him. Uh, Root at four, well, that, that's all fine. That, that starts to look coherent. Um, Stokes might bat five, I think he will. And then Ollie Pope at six, well, brilliant. I mean, that's where he should start. He's obviously a brilliantly talented player with a good future, but let's give him a chance to bed in at six. And then, you know, as he develops, uh, he can maybe move up the order and let's see what happens. But six is the place to bring him in. And then you've got Joss Butler at seven. I think Joss is quite a lucky lad. Personally, I'd have dropped him and Johnny for, for this series and allowed them both some time off and some time to work on their game and, and play Ben Folks. But, you know, you, you'd have to be blind not to recognise the amount of talent he has. You know, he can turn that potential still into runs, hopefully. But I think what we're 35 tests into a career that's brought one century, I think he's quite a lucky lad to get another go. And then, you know, the bowling yeah. attack looks uh, revolutionised by uh, Jofra. And uh, Leachy has done everything. He deserved his opportunity to go to New Zealand as the number one spinner. Um, you know, maybe Moen can recover whatever it is that Moen needs to recover. And um, if he does, he'll probably displace Leachy. But um, at the moment, uh, I think Leach has done everything required of him to, to deserve to be England's number one spinner going into these winter tours. Looking back at the summer that we've just had, George, I mean, you were, you were at most of the games. You'd have been excited like everybody about what, what you've seen with the World Cup win and the Ashes. You don't get any bigger summers than that in English cricket. It's, it must have been a, a terrific summer to cover. Yeah, joy. Uh, terribly lucky, aren't we? I mean, I, I do think that quite often, if I'm honest. I, I do think that quite a lot of games. I mean, my, my colleagues <laughs> were mocking me at Leeds because I kept on turning around and saying to people, aren't we lucky? Because that Ben Stokes <laughs> innings was ridiculous. Yeah. And actually, I probably that was probably, well, uh, maybe that was my highlight. I mean, the, the World Cup was actually a bit stressful. And, and also, I wrote quite poorly at the, at the World Cup final, which sort of shadows your uh, memories of things. I shouldn't, I know, but... Um, just from a sort of very egocentric, I didn't have a great day at work. So, and it was so tense. You didn't know what was going to happen. It was almost too tense to enjoy. I really loved the semi-final, you know, because uh, uh, England absolutely thrashed Australia. And they made it look easy. And, um, you know, we've seen enough World Cup games. I, I'm wondering if I'd ever seen England win a uh, knockout World Cup game before in the flesh. I don't think I had. And I've done a few, you know. So um, it was... 
really, really lovely to see them uh, just show everyone how good they were. I think we all knew it, but we wondered whether they would blink on the big stage, and, and they didn't. And there's so much to admire in that team. I really, really think they're uh, fantastic role models for the sport. Obviously really good cricketers, but actually very good guys, very good at um, acknowledging their position in society, uh, really nicely reflective of Britain and everything that represents. Yeah, it was really, really good to see them win. I thought they, they are the best ODI team in the world. Even if they weren't the best team on the day, there wasn't much between the two, was there? Um, and that was the other thing. I'm also a proud New Zealander. I have a New Zealand passport, and I thought that... Um, well, was there, is there any other side in the world, including England, that would have reacted to that defeat and the manner of that defeat with the same amount of dignity and class? I don't know. Brilliant. Okay, okay. I just think there'd be one or two other sides would still be in some sort of court of arbitration or something. Oh, if it had been India, can you imagine if it had been India or Australia, it would have been the Third World War, wouldn't it? It would have, have been absolute mayhem for years and years and years. Never let us forget about well, it. But New well, Zealand, probably the Supreme very... Court of India would probably be calling for a replay, wouldn't they? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, it, well, it, I, I fear it would have been pretty grim. So and, and New Zealand were incredibly dignified about it, as they have been about that, uh, the rugby defeat. I mean, the rugby defeat was perhaps easier to take because it was a, a pretty clear game where they were outplayed a bit. They weren't outplayed in the World Cup final, were they? They were just... It, it, it was decided by uh, uh, tiny margins of fortune, and they came out on the wrong side of it. I don't, I don't know about you, but my, my Twitter feed was, was full of Indians telling me that New Zealand were, were rightly world champions. And I'm thinking, it's nothing to do with you. You went out in the semi-finals. You didn't it. But uh, anyway, yeah. No, but I mean, to be fair, I, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the, the history of colonialism for you. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> if... if yeah, British people have a, have baggage there that um, is going to take quite a long time to wear off, and you can kind of understand that. <laughs> George, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Cricket Badger podcast this week. I hope you enjoy your winter, enjoy New Zealand, enjoy South Africa. And uh, well, tell, tell me this before from... you go: are you taking are you taking swimming lessons? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've mentioned that on the podcast before. The, the fact that you saved my life in the Caribbean. I did. We had we we had a real five minutes, didn't we? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we, I, I, well, I'm very glad I did for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah. you, you are responsible for the Cricket Budget podcast because without you, I would, I would probably be under the, under the water somewhere in the Caribbean, floating around watching the, the coral reefs and what have you. Well, I think we'd probably have fished you out, eh? <laughs> <laughs> but for those listening that don't know the story, um, we, we were on the, a Casparan cruise. We're very lucky to get a free Casparan cruise, and we were going around Barbados and this Casparan. Very, very nice. We jumped ashore at Sunday Lane, I think it was, wasn't it? And uh, had a bit of a wander around we're playing had a tennis ball we're playing cats we'd gradually wandered along this beach and then the foghorn went off that the catamaran was going to depart again and that we should all return to uh, get back onto the onto the boat and right and, and being idiots rather than run along the beach and swim the 50 yards out to the catamaran we decided to swim the 250 yards across the sea and um, back to the catamaran which gradually started to drift away from us as well not the strongest swimmer in the world and i was starting to get a little bit worried that i was going to start to sink but george george stayed with me side by side and we made it to the catamaran as i swore at the person as we climbed up, uh, climbed back on board but uh, yeah i was very appreciative of your help no worries all good fun all good fun <laughs> well hopefully you, you stay afloat this winter and enjoy the uh, enjoy the england games cheers joe it's really nice to talk to you as ever keep in touch it's that badger style
Thank you very much to George for his appearance on the podcast this week. It's taken a while to happen, but I'm very pleased that he's come on the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed talking to him. I set up, I suppose, the 100, really to try and get everybody under the same roof, really, in terms of social media, and in terms of being able to express opinions a little bit louder as a collective mass. But it's not something which works in isolation. And as he suggested, the Supporters Association run by Becky Fairley-Clark, who was at the Select Committee hearing, is a very fine organisation, would recommend, as George did, that you join that. It's all about giving supporters a unified voice, often forgotten about existing cricket fans, I think, in this country, to join the Supporters Association. And let's try and get the supporters to have a say in what happens to, to your game. It's the game that doesn't belong to me, doesn't belong to anybody in particular, it's our game, and it's all about getting that combined voice so that the authorities listen to existing cricket supporters, pay them some attention, and actually give them a little bit of credence and credibility when it comes to decision-making. Thank you very much for listening this week. Please like, subscribe, do all of the nice things, comment nicely. Let people know that the Cricket Badger podcast exists so we can get bigger, better, get some great guests on as we go into 2020. Stay tuned to the Cricket Badger podcast. We're going to go through the New Zealand tour with our specials as we have done throughout the summer of 2019. Plenty more to come as the Cricket Badger podcast goes from strength to strength. Your listenership, your ears being lent to the podcast is much appreciated. Your comments on Twitter at cricket underscore badger, hugely welcome. I'm currently stood in a very empty office in Leeds and I've been commentating on football this afternoon and I'm waiting for the T20 at 1am to start. So if my Twitter feed is a little bit vacant throughout some of the days during the New Zealand tour, it's because I'm going to be doing nights through much of the uh, trip that England are taking down to uh, New Zealand where the clocks are slightly different to ours. So my body clock is going to go a little bit bonkers over the next few weeks cricket england playing can't wait for it all to uh, get going especially the test matches hope you uh, are watching it as well and enjoying the cricket throughout the winter the fact that i'm working for a lot of evenings may make the podcasts a little bit more haphazard as we go over the next few weeks because i may be sleeping during the day when people are available to talk to me but uh, i will do my best to get podcasts out every week over the next few weeks but until we meet again badges enjoy your cricket Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.